0: Robert J. Morgan served in pastoral ministry for over 40 years in Nashville, Tennessee. He's a best-selling author, uh, gold illuminations and gold medallion winning author with more than 35 books in print and approximately 5 million copies in circulation in multiple languages. Robert, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you,
1: thank you, Kirk, it's my pleasure.
0: Well, happy Independence Day. Yes, sir. I I love the way that we've transformed this into a God bless America setting. And we get to talk about the foundations for the greatest nation in the world, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you typically celebrate Independence Day?
1: Well, we do it in the traditional way, you know, with family coming over and fireworks and apple pie or cherry pie. Um, But I like to take the occasion to think back at our roots as well. And I'm very proud being a follower of Christ of the contribution that Christians have made to the founding of our country and to our history. This would not be the nation that it is without what God has done through his people. And uh, so I I always like to remember that. Well, I love that you are such an expert on this subject,
0: researched it so well, and everything you're saying lines up with Mm -hmm. what I've been learning about this country. And one of the things that I love to remember on Independence Day is that the foundation of Independence Day was really Dependence Day when we think about the Revolutionary War, uh, declaring independence from a a tyrannical nation that wanted to rule from the top down, the people, uh, Samuel Adams said, had a revolution of religious sentiment Mm -hmm. first, that the war was an effect of the revolution of the heart that had taken place where they declared their dependence upon God.
1: Yes, any historian who is honest will tell you that if there had not been the great awakening mm. and the great revival that took place in the 1700s that pulled together the colonies spiritually yes. and emotionally and morally, there never would have been a declaration of independence. It was, the, it was this spiritual revival that was like a biblical revival yes. that swept over the nation with especially George Whitfield, that unified for the first time the colonies and planted in America's pulpits, people determined to have freedom of religion. And they would preach that, and it paved the way for the Declaration of Independence. Robert,
0: do you think that's what we need today, is another great awakening, uh, an understanding, a turning back, a revival? We've got
1: to have a spiritual revival. Our problems, uh, Kirk, are not primarily political. They're not primarily even moral. They are primarily spiritual. Mm. And we need political help and we need moral reform, but there's gotta be the changing of the heart by the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. in a revival. And the, the Declaration of Independence was preceded and followed by huge revivals. There was the First Great Awakening and then the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War and the Constitution and then and America, and America, the new nation, Christianity just crashed. But then there was the second great awakening, which established the Judeo-Christian foundation, upon which, well, it's, it's upon which uh, our whole society has been built until our lifetime. It's been crumbling, uh, I'm older than you, but it's been crumbling in our lifetime. But America was born between two huge revival meetings that were nationwide, that led millions of people into the kingdom. And so we, the, 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 the whole story of America and its founding was sandwiched between two incredible revivals, the yeah. first and second great awakening. We need another one.
0: I, I, couldn't agree, I couldn't agree with you more. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor are, are building
1: in vain. And blessed are the, is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we cannot underestimate the strong but powerful minority of Jesus followers that are in our nation. And the new generation, young adults and teenagers, I see them everywhere I go, are so zealous for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was on a ship with 276 people on the Mediterranean. There were only three Christians, 1%, but the whole ship was saved because of that 1%. If there had been 10 people in Sodom, which probably had a population of 1,001%, the city would have been saved. Uh, Gideon ended up with 10% or 1% of his, of his original force. Yeah. But a minority that's of right. people in this nation that's right. that are committed to Jesus Christ and pray for revival can have an enormous effect because of the power of the Holy Spirit, especially because we have the foundation upon which we can build it.
0: That's right, that's right.
1: We, we, we have what
0: it takes, and so when I meet people who think that there's no hope, we've gone too far, read your Bible, uh, listen to, to uh, those of the past, study history, and 2,000 years ago, God unleashed the most powerful world-changing force on the planet, and that is the Spirit-filled, self-governing Christian armed with the Word of God, the only uh, thing powerful enough to subdue evil, and bring transformation to all the institutions of mankind. And we've got those tools today.
1: We just need to apply them. And not be intimidated. That's right. It says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, stand firm without letting yourselves be intimidated by those who oppose you. That's right. And we can be gracious, we can be kind, but we cannot be intimidated. Stand for with one spirit, with one mind,
0: and we're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Because covenant keepers win, covenant breakers lose every time. We just have to stay around long enough to see the end of the
1: story. And God's not done with America yet. I'm encouraged. I am genuinely encouraged right now. When I see the young people that I speak to in different places that I go, there is a generation coming up for Christ now Uh, You've had a big influence on that. Other people have, and they are as zealous as Mm. anyone and anything that I've ever seen. So we still, there's a lot to be encouraged about and nothing to be discouraged about because the Bible does not give us the option of being discouraged.
0: That's right. Let's talk about a few interesting characters in American history. George Washington.
1: Was Was he a Christian? Yes. He was, um, now if you ask me, was he genuinely born again? You know, I don't know his heart, but I think that he was on the basis of the fact that he professed always to be Anglican. And, and he recited the Anglican creeds everywhere he went. And the Anglican creeds were very, it was, you know, Orthodox Christianity. Uh, it was Jesus is both God and man. Um, it is that we need redemption through his blood. And he held to those creeds as an Anglican all of his life. He never claimed to be a deist. And he spoke of Jesus and of the Bible. Uh, now, he would use the pulpit language of his day, which was ornate. He would talk about the indissolvable rules of right and wrong, which is how they talked about the Bible. Yeah, the hand would,
0: of providence.
1: Yes, the hand of providence. He would talk about the, the great author of our faith, yes. referring to Jesus Christ. But, uh, but he always believed, maybe more deeply than anybody of his generation, that America came into existence by the providence of God and the miracles of his providence, of God's providence, preserved his life and his troops and the hope for freedom. And there is no other explanation. And let me tell you something, when he took the oath of office, he didn't put his hand on the constitution, but on the Bible. And when he took his hand off, he bent over and he kissed the Bible and full view of the whole crowd.
0: I, I love that. And not to mention the fact that then the American people tried to crown him king and he said, what, what are you doing? The whole reason we're fighting is to not go back to a structure where you have a king who uh, all power resides in him. No, I won't. And. And and I just love, he understood the application of biblical principles that leads to individual liberty and Mm self-governance, not a top-down system. What about Benjamin Franklin? Many people look at him and say, well, this is a guy who definitely wasn't a Christian, uh, but he put such an emphasis on prayer. In fact, one of his greatest speeches uh, was about the subject of prayer for America.
1: Yeah, I don't believe that um, Franklin was genuinely an orthodox, born-again Christian, but he was so close to it in his knowledge of the Bible and the prayer you're referring to, his speech that you're referring to when he was very, very old and the Constitutional Convention was clogged up and they could not find a way forward in the establishing of the Constitution. And everybody was angry. And you had the big states and the small states and you had the slave-owning states and the free states and everything was a mess. and, And there was no way forward. Franklin stood up. And he said, how is it, sirs, that we have forgotten to pray? He said, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without the Lord noticing, it is not likely that an empire can arise. He said, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. He said, I move that we bring in a chaplain to lead us in prayer and to guide us spiritually through this logger heads that we have. And, you know, not even that motion passed, but because of it, George Washington led the delegates down to a local church. They knelt, the pastor prayed, and they all prayed the Lord's prayer together on their knees. Mm. And they came back, and James Madison later said, it just came together.
0: It just came together. It just came together. As, As together. though there was a real hand in the heavens that was guiding mm. them and, and began to to heal their differences and bring them together for for the right motive. How did Samuel Morse, the Christian, give
1: America its technology? He began figuring out that you could transfer messages over wires with electricity. And he had it strung up everywhere. And he invented the telegraph. And the first message that went from Washington, uh, at that time, the Supreme Court was in the Capitol building. And so they had one station there, the other in Baltimore, and he sent a message and the message was from the scripture, what hath God wrought? And that was the first electronic transmission of a message in history. And Morse was a dedicated Christian who brought to us a new form of technology that eventually changed the world—the
0: Morse code and, and wiring messages—and yeah. he, t- he wires Scripture is the very first message. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us how the Christian
1: Noah Webster gave us America's language. Yeah, Webster was a very interesting character. He was obsessive compulsive. He was—he ang- he had all kinds of neuroses, uh, but he and he tried to do all kinds of things and fail. But then he decided he would put together a dictionary of American English. And he worked on this obsessively until he was right on the verge of having a nervous breakdown. But you remember what I said about the second great awakening. He was in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. His teenage daughters were converted in a revival meeting during the second great awakening. Webster went to ask their pastor what had happened to them. He heard the gospel. He received it as, as, I mean, he got down on his knees and received Christ as savior and all of a sudden he had the stamina and the energy to go back and finish this dictionary. And it's because of the way that he put the words together. He would define words after that using biblical examples. That's right. And he would use a pronunciation that was distinct from British English. And so the reason we don't sound like you know Londoners or people in, in, uh, in Great Britain now is because Noel Webster created for us an Americanized mm. English. That's right. But it's because of his faith in Christ that he had the stamina, the vision to do it. And he wanted to use his dictionary to expand the reach of the gospel.
0: He's one of, one of my favorites. He gave us Webster's Dictionary. Yeah. And then he also, his famous blueback spellers trained yeah. generations of children how to how to spell, how to speak. And, and uh, just as you said, uh, he he was also, I think, known as the uh, father of American education. Yeah. And he said that of all the things that you should teach children, uh, the first of the most important things are those principles of Christianity mm-hmm. for children of our free republic like ours. If we lose that and our kids don't pick it up, the future is lost. Robert, uh, th- this has just been a thrill for me to talk with you about the founding of America and the Bible's importance in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got this book for us called 100 Bible Verses That Made America. Mm -hmm. Today, we live in a culture that is trying to get rid of the Bible. 1952, prayer is out. 1953, now the Bible is out. We officially told God he is not welcome in our children's school and the Mm -hmm. education of uh, our descendants.
1: But you're saying that without the Bible, America wouldn't even be here. I do not think we would have the America that we know today or the America that history has known if there had been no Bible. If there had been no Bible, there would have been no America as we know it. Mm. There wouldn't be a place today where we have the freedom to debate the things we're debating about. Uh, that's why I just refuse to be marginalized as a Christian.
0: That's right. Isn't, isn't, <clears throat> isn't it amazing how how Christianity has been on its heels and Christians Uh, have sort of resigned themselves to this inevitable marginalization within culture when the entire foundation of America was to marginalize paganism, uh, regressive, barbaric ideas, and bring into the forefront, in in fact, the the entire uh, tone of society ought to be a biblical tone. And and yet we've somehow allowed ourselves to get off the offensive, Mm -hmm. uh, spreading light, and just uh, crawl into the closet and, and, and maybe just, just hope not to be persecuted?
1: Well, I know you and I don't take kindly to being marginalized. We, this is no It's time. not the loving thing to do. No. Uh, we want to help people. Uh, we want to encourage people. We want to give people freedom. We want to give them a new lease on life. We want to give them eternal life. Yes. And lovingly, and boldly, and we can't do that without the scripture. And if we're marginalized and and people say we can't, you know, you can't take a a Bible to school, you can't take a Bible and put it on your desk at work. You know, I just do not view those secular restrictions favorably.
0: (laughs) No, no, we we, we can't. Robert, uh, talk to us about some of these key verses in the Bible that you say built America.
1: One of the first passages I I mentioned earlier about um, George Washington placing his hand on the Bible Mm -hmm. when he took the uh, oath of office in in lower Manhattan uh, to become president, the first president of the United States. He laid his hand on Genesis chapter 49, which is the story of Jacob blessing the 12 sons of Israel who had become a great nation. He believed that America could be a great nation. He wanted God's blessing on America the way that God had blessed those 12 sons to Mm. become the great nation of Israel. And so he laid his hand on that verse. Now, very interestingly, or on that chapter, Genesis 49, uh, many, many years later, when Dwight Eisenhower was elected president, he asked Billy Graham where should I open my Bible as I take the oath of office? And Dr. Graham said, Second Chronicles chapter seven, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, mm. then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land.
0: Hallelujah.
1: And that was always Eisenhower's verse. He wanted to bring about a spiritual revival. Now. I don't think he was even converted till near the end of his life when Dr. Graham led him to Christ, but he knew that there had to be a strength, a moral strength to America that could only find its foundations in Christianity.
0: Robert, how was scripture referenced during times of war in America?
1: Well, very often, those who were um, back on their heels in the military during the even the, uh, the Revolutionary War and, and then the others would proclaim fasts and call the nation together for prayer. Mm. You know, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, Israel is being invaded by a coalition of three armies. Jehoshaphat is king and they cannot withstand the onslaught. So it says that Jehoshaphat um, proclaimed a fast, a day of fasting and prayer. And the people came together to Jerusalem. And here's one of the verses that the uh, forefathers uh, loved. Jehoshaphat said, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Mm. And uh, so often, you know, in in my individual life, I have to pray that. But as a nation right now, uh, I don't care who is elected president. We would have to, in all honesty, want them to lift their eyes to heaven and say, the problems are so great, Lord, the enemies are so great, the threats are so real. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are are on you. you. And it's verses like that that encouraged, uh, all of the presidents um, Reference the Bible and some uh, like McKinley were very, very devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and and it made a big difference. It made a huge it made difference. made a huge difference. Huge difference. Why do you think it's important for us to hang
0: on to the Bible and its wisdom in order to have a, f- a healthy
1: future? Well, it promotes humility for one thing. When uh, Franklin Roosevelt died and Truman was suddenly catapulted into the office, uh, he went before Congress And his aides had written his speech and he read what they wrote. But then at the end, he read what he wrote. He wanted to add his own word. And he said, I ask the Lord to do for me what he did for Solomon. And then he quoted from Chronicles, Lord, give your servant the wisdom to guide and to lead such a great and mighty people. And that was his prayer. Um, Ronald Reagan, when he was, president wrote a very evangelistic letter to his father-in-law, Loyal Davis, who was dying of cancer and who was an atheist, begging him to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, quoting to him John 3.16 and saying, it is prayer that has been at the foundation of everything that I've been able to do that was good. And he just begged his father-in-law to come to Christ and to be a Christian. So we have, not all American presidents and not all statesmen have been born again Christians. In the early days, even if they were not, they had an incredible grasp and respect for the Word Mm, of God. That's right. And if we're going to maintain any kind of dignity as a nation, uh, we've got to remember what it says in Proverbs that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people.
0: That's right. And without the scriptures as our dictionary to define Mm -hmm. sin, sin can be turned, good and evil, sin and righteousness can be turned on their heads to where you and I could be described and defined as evil simply Mm -hmm. because we're not um, given the the high five to the destroyers of liberty and the destroyers of scripture. So the Bible is absolutely crucial. Um, here's a verse that you point out in your, in your excellent book, Philippians 1, 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come, Paul is speaking, and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God.
1: Yes, not, we cannot be intimidated. Now, we may come to a point of being persecuted. We can be persecuted. Uh, Christians all over the world right now are persecuted. I have a map in my prayer journal and every day I look at these different nations. Um, We can be persecuted, but we cannot be silenced and we cannot be intimidated and we cannot be discouraged. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the word of God in our hands. We have a tremendous uh, uh, infallible foundation of truth beneath our feet. That's right. Uh, We have heaven in front of us. We have Jesus in our hearts. And we just are not going to be discouraged or intimidated or stopped. Uh, And there's no telling what the Lord may do in our generation. And correct me if I'm mistaken, but I think the Lord Jesus Christ
0: said, um, in this world, you'll have trouble, but behold, take heart, I've overcome the world. And then I think he added to that, um, all authority, both in heaven and on earth have been given Mm -hmm. to me. And then he said, go disciple the nations and I'll be with you. I mean, I'd paraphrase that as, uh, boys, I have taken care of the opposition. Um, I've got something of authority that cannot be matched by anything else, and I am employing you to be my hands and feet. Now, go take the world on three.
1: You're right. Yeah, and you've got to have that kind of uh, stamina. Now, there are times when, uh, Kirk, when I'll read something just demoralizing to me as a Christian, Um, but I don't stay demoralized. Uh, I may hear a court case or an election that, that I don't like, and I may be discouraged, but I don't stay discouraged. Mm. We have all of the promises of God around yes. us. We have a tremendous force inside of us, the Holy Spirit. We have the future lined out for us in Scripture. Yeah. And one day, the kingdoms of this world are going to belong to God and to His Son, and... Um, Uh, And the name of Jesus is going to be exalted and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Uh, We know how all of this is going to end, but it is likened as a fight in the Bible that we're in a war, um, but we are uh, in a war with one who fights our battles for us, wins our victories for us, gives us the strength to go on. And in the course of trying to spread the gospel everywhere that we can, we change a lot of lives and do a lot of good and spread abroad a love that no other philosophical system can boast of.
0: That, that's right, that's right. It's it's, it's wholesale transformation of the human being, starting with the heart, and it doesn't stop there. It's like mm-hmm. uh, when a man is changed, that man can now change not only himself, but his marriage by, mm-hmm. by leading, with the scriptures and he can heavenize his home with his children and that can begin to work out and we see perhaps another great awakening in America. I'm praying for that in our lifetime. Me too. Uh, Robert, uh, what is your prayer for America today?
1: Well, George Washington offered a prayer for America. He said, may the Lord of providence, I'm paraphrasing, may the Lord of providence help our people to understand those great and wonderful laws of the scripture without which no people can hope to be happy. And I'm praying that there'll be a revival. And I'm also praying that the pulpits in America, because I've been a pastor all of my life, the pulpits in America will have the courage to teach the scripture expositionally to be courageous when it comes to issues that may be controversial in our society, but are not controversial in the Bible, Uh -uh. and will help our young people to know right from wrong. And I'm asking the Lord to raise up a new generation for uh, the advancing of the gospel and another great awakening that will take us forward.
0: Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.